millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Matthew Appleby and today I'm with Southern Trident CEO Steve Harper. Now Southern Trident is a UK company with strong roots in India specialising in Koya based growing medium and homewares and operates the brands Coco and Koya and Harmony Gardens. So welcome Steve, how are you doing? Morning Matt, very well thank you. Excellent, now good to hear from you again and um even though it's June, we're heading for a, another busy time of the year because we've got um, Glee for the first time in June, a trade show. And um, I understand that you um, have got a bit of innovation coming out. Yep, we're um, continuing to launch products as we have done the last couple of years. Um, we're doubling the size of the Harmony Gardens carbon neutral compost, peat-free compost range. Um, and all importantly, we're putting an ericaceous compost amongst those mixes. Because I think that's the one that people always um, say is the challenge as far as peat free is concerned. Um, and we're also continuing to look at our roots from the coconut in terms of bringing out a coconut based charcoal and a microgreens kit based on co-gromats. Wow. Now, now, it's interesting you mentioned the ericaceous thing because I was speaking to Charles Williams from Burncoos at Chelsea recently, and he said there will be no more ericaceous plants at Chelsea in the future when the RHS goes through with its plan to ban. You obviously think that isn't the case because you've got an ericaceous that works. Yeah, absolutely. I th I'm not saying that there aren't some extremities or some very sensitive plants that might be a challenge. And it's always impossible to test every single species when you're doing growing trials. But certainly we found a blend that manages to reduce the pH to a sufficient level that um, all of your common ericaceous plants, azaleas, rhodos, um, et cetera, will all grow quite happily um, in the mix. And we're continuing to um, do trials to show that. Just talking of Chelsea, I, I actually managed to speak to Rebecca Powell there, who is defra minister with the responsibility for horticulture and i spoke to her a bit about the peat issue and she said the announcement about potential ban will be out in june um so what, what have you heard about that is there any developments on that that you know about 
No, I'm probably in the same place as you are with that, Matt. I haven't heard anything different to that. Um, look, I think the peat-free argument, whichever way you look at it, has has kind of concluded. We know that's the traveller direction. Um, we know it's the right thing to move towards peat-free. And I think most of the industry is. You've seen the kind of announcements coming from big retailers like Dobby's and um, B&Q and the likes, um, and even with Tesco's with their bedding plants this year. Um, it is the traveller direction and we're going to end up there, um, whether you're on that side or not. It, it is where we are going. So all we're waiting for, I guess, from the government is to set a timeline. No, indeed. So how well placed are you to sort of fill that impending gap sort of stock wise and product wise, do you think? I think the market is improving its position. I, I mean, from our perspective, we are supplying more and more coir into the market. So whether it's coir that we're selling ourselves or coir that we're supplying to other manufacturers that they're putting into their blends um, the amount of that is going upwards exponentially um, and we believe that um, we can supply a lot more than we're supplying now so I think coir isn't going to be the total answer um, it's a relatively expensive raw material and um, certainly it can be part of the solution but then when I sit and listen to um, other people in the market, be it in kind of bark and the additional bark that's being brought to the market, the, the players that are in that game are working really hard to bring extra volumes into the market. So there's a journey for us to take, and it's going to take a little while yet to get all of the volume that we require, but it's not insurmountable. Do you think the new price level has been set on the bag of growing media? Or do you think it will rise further or, or where are we at? My genuine belief is it's going to continue to rise. Um, I think there is a new price level. I mean, the, the price of grain media has gone up um, significantly over the last 12, 18 months without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and, and probably to more realistic levels, we should have been here before. Um, but actually, given the rise of all the raw materials, fertilizers, transport, I don't think we've reached um, its final resting place yet. Um, and I think we'll, we'll continue to see price increases for 2023. It's a difficult one, and this is interesting with regards to Glee, because normally when Glee is in September, we go to Glee with next year's prices. I would suspect nobody will be going to Glee with next year's prices at this stage because they just don't know where they're going to fall yet. No, indeed. So where do you think that price level will be set in 23? I've already heard about a price for a bag of compost at for a retailer to be paying um, above four pounds a bag. Um, and if you think probably three or four years ago, it was only two pounds a bag um, or two pounds, two pound 50, it has gone up significantly. But, but that isn't manufacturers um, jumping on bandwagons. That is real pricing coming through. And that is one of the issues that will happen as we move to peat free. The number of raw materials out there are less and they are more expensive. How have you found the uh, the process of, of importing? Have you managed to you know get the supply chain sorted out? Because you know worldwide supply chains have been a big issue in the last year or two. I think we're fortunate. We, we have a our supply chain director inside this business is really focused on um, bringing products over from India um, because we have so many links in India as well. We can communicate with them really clearly and work through the issues that come. So we understand where the issues are around the supply chain. We see other issues that develop in terms of if you look at the state of Sri Lanka at the moment, that may cause bottlenecks in supply. So we're looking at ways of bringing product directly from India rather than via Sri Lanka. Um, and most of the time, we're pretty close to where we say we're going to be.
Now, uh, EPOS data we've collected suggested that peat freeze are rising up the rankings and um, being sold price matched with, with peat based composts at garden centres. But do you think garden centres are ready for the change? Are, are they ready for the switch? I think there are some that absolutely are. I mean, you talk to some um, people out in the garden centre sector and they've effectively almost made the change. Some have gone, I mean, a small number have gone completely peat free, but there are a growing number that are kind of 80, 90% peat free. Um, and so that change is happening. But there are still some, and, and since the first thing this morning, um, and I could only find one bag of peat free compost. And when I asked the question at Teal about peat free, they turned around and said, there's no demand for peat free. And I had quite an interesting conversation with them about where peat free really sits in the market. So certainly, the whole market isn't ready for it, but I think a large percentage of it has realised that the market is changing and moving down in that direction. You think there'll be stockpiling of, of peat-based compost before any ban or people will be trying to import it from overseas? No, I don't think so. I think as the market moves, that will be the traveller direction. I think it will be impossible to bring peat-based compost over um, commercially viably from um, Europe. I mean, the cost of transport would just kill it completely. I mean, you'd be doubling the price above where we are now, probably, to try and do that. Some people will continue to use peat till the day that it's banned, but that's true of anything that's been banned when you look back in history. Um, but it's the traveller direction and we will get there. What about the responsible sourcing scheme? Uh, that came in this year as a method for people to sort of check the, the carbon footprint and various other sort of levels of environmental um, responsibility on a bag of, of peat. How has that gone down? That's going, gone down well. We've got more and more manufacturers that are joining. So in the first instance, it was mainly the Grow Media manufacturers that were part of the GMA, Grow Media Association. Um, and, and they tended to be the um, middle to bigger grow media manufacturers but certainly over the last number of months since we've kind of officially launched and we've put the responsiblesourcing.org.uk website up um, there's a growing number of the smaller manufacturers that are joining so that's great to see and we've now got a full-time administrator in place who's working hard to kind of contact some of those small players and get them on board um, and now we're starting also to work with a number of the retailers that are coming on board and we've got some um, big retailers on boards with the likes of Homebase and Dobbies and Haskins, name but a few. But obviously now we're pushing for more of the retailers to come on board so that they'll communicate the message to their consumers as well. Do you think that will be developed next year so there's more labelling on the bag rather than people looking on a website for the info? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's always going to be a mix of, uh, there'll always be the logo on the back. The logo will be printed more and more often on the back. So you know what it's like. Nobody changes their packaging every year. So every year, more packaging will um, have the uh, logo on, whether that's a final score, um, as we've got on some of our products, or whether it's the QR code to lead them to the website with the current score, as we've also got on some of our products. I think in time, that'll be a mix. And I think that's partly because things do change. And particularly as we go peak free, um, the amount of testing that's going on to find better and better mixes means that manufacturers won't want to be tied down to a to a particular score they'll want to continue to improve on their score and on the efficacy of their products so the qr code i think is going to be something that consumers will use but post covid it's something that we've all got very used to using now anyway 
At the moment, we're doing a survey with the basic question is, do you want to keep peat? We've done it a couple of times before, and the figures were pretty high, you know, in the 70%. Um, why do you think that remains so high? I don't know. I think some of it is people's nervousness to try and move away um, from going peat-free. But I think it's the case now that they've got to move. I visited a nursery um, three or four weeks ago who are by next year, five million plants a year. And they are growing all of those peat-free. So it absolutely can be done. And they found mixes that work for them. So I think it's a challenge. And I think for the manufacturers, it's relations that work. And I think for growers, it's going to be a challenge as they put their feet into that on, on that kind of roadway to, to change. But it's something that they've got to do. There's no point trying to hide from it. It's going to come. So the more that people give it a go, the better. You think the government is doing enough to help the transition? I think there needs to be more grants and potentially more subsidies to help manufacturers, particularly go peat free. I think there needs to be more grants towards machinery and developing um, peat-free uh, growing. I think that happened, That should be for manufacturers, and I also think it should be for the growers and the nurseries because most of their machinery is designed to handle peat, and it is a big change to go to peat-free. I think from a subsidy perspective, where we're using more and more wood-based materials and we're competing with the likes of biomass for those same wood-based materials, I think that's where if things like biomass get subsidies, then we need to equalise that and make sure that horticulture can access similar levels, albeit a different type of subsidy. Do you think there'll be any exceptions to the rule of peat-free for um, for commercial growers, for maybe ericaceous plants or carnivorous plants or, or maybe even young plants, bedding plants? I think this is where we as an industry have to prove what can be achieved and what can't be achieved because I'm sure, and I'm not an absolute expert on um, particularly professional growing and the, what the growers are, are trying to have to deal with be it from propagation or as you say, the ericaceous type plants. But I think if we're as an industry realistic about we can achieve 95, 97% of what it is we're trying to achieve, but there is this three to 5% of plants that we do need to continue to keep being, then maybe we'll get those exceptions to be allowed to do so. I think if we throw our hands up and say, oh, we can't use peat and we can't change, then I think the government's likely to ignore us and ban outright. So I think we're better off being realistic about what we can and can't achieve and taking that route to government. Just going back to Glee, do you think anybody at all will be promoting peat-based composts there or will they just sort of have them in the background and, you know, that's still the majority of what people's, people sell at retail level? I don't think anybody will be overtly pushing peat-based composts. I mean, they are sitting in people's ranges, in manufacturers' ranges, and that's fine. They, they are part of the mix at this point in time. Um, and even if you look at the responsible sourcing scheme, it was never about banning peat. All it was about was measuring equally those products, whether they were peat-based or non-peat-based, and making sure that we didn't do something that was worse than what we were replacing. So I don't genuinely think people will overtly push peat. Um, and I think the peat-free agenda will be much, have a much higher profile than any peat-based agenda. What's next in the new product development stakes for you? What, what's the next uh, sort of barrier you need to jump? 
Um, I think we've just got to continue extending our growing media range. We're going to have a, a pretty good range by the end of 2023. And through 24 and 25, we'll extend that range out so that we've got a comprehensive range of peak-free compost. We think for um, the mass market, for the consumer market, um, we can supply their needs in terms of peak-free products. And we'll continue to develop that. Um, and then we'll obviously continue to look back to our roots in India and the coconut and see what other products. It's amazed me from day one how many products that you can make from the coconut. And we're starting to edge into the landscaping market um, with some products there. These were products I had no idea even existed up until the last 12, 18 months. Well, that's something to look forward to. Um, now, Steve, I think we probably asked you this before, but we keep on asking this question in the Horticulture Week podcast about if you're on a deserted island and what plant you might take. Um, have, you, have you had any new thoughts on that one? Um, no, I think the last time you asked me when we did podcast before, I, I think I might have said a rose. Um, I think my, my other favourite, and it's always one that I, I always have a number of them in the garden and having just moved house, I'm now kind of thinking where I'm going to, and plant them in the new garden races. I think just the leaf shape and, and the changes of colours through the season, um, I think they're a fantastic tree. Um, and I think aces are probably right up there as amongst my favourite plants. Brilliant. Now I'm looking forward to seeing you at Glee and looking forward to seeing your new product development. Um, thank you very much for um, taking part in the Horticulture Week podcast. So that was Steve Harper from Southern Trident and I'm Matthew Appleby, Horticulture Week editor. So make sure you never miss a Hort Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Horticulture Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. And once again, thanks to Steve and goodbye till next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.